Hi, and welcome to Follow's weekly message podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Today's Bible reading is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 23. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Well, hello. I'm so sorry I can't be with you in the flesh. Uh, hopefully, at some time in the future. But it's good to share God's word with you this morning. I spent eleven years uh, working in Pakistan. For the first three and a half, I worked as a high school teacher in a boarding school for the children of missionaries. The school was right next to an army base, and I became friends there with one of the officers, a, a Captain Mahmood, who lived just up the road. And we'd rarely get together for dinner or cups of tea and just, just to talk. We became good friends. One time I went there and we weren't alone. And another man was there and Mahmoud told me this man was his cousin. But through the whole conversation, this man just sat there, he didn't say anything. I thought, well, maybe he can't speak English. He just, I remember, it was a bit creepy, actually. He just sat there, showed no emotion, didn't smile, just, just looked at me. And at one point, Mahmoud asked me if I had a girlfriend. And I said, I didn't. And, and then he said to me, is there a girl that you like? And you'd like her to like you. And then he said to me, because his friend, his cousin, was a magician. And he could, he could give me something that would make the girl of my dreams become the love of my life. Well, I think he saw the kind of alarm on my face and so he said, no, no, don't worry. He said, there are two kinds of magic. There's black magic, which seeks to do harm to people, and, and there's white magic, which just seeks to do good. And his cousin was a white magician and he'd give me something. Now, I'm not quite sure what that would be or how it would work, how he'd give me some potion that would make this girl love me and, and nobody else. Anyway, I, I declined his very kind offer. Uh, because in the end, I believed him. 
Not that I'd, I'd have this potion that made me some kind of missionary Brad Pitt, but I believe this, this man had power, and in the end, that that power is destructive. As I said, I spent 11 years in Pakistan. It's a Muslim country, although it's a country really under the sway of evil spirits, of magic. Whenever you ride a bus on the outside of the bus, there are these paintings of these big eyes to ward off the evil eye. When people have a big need, like to find a, a marriage partner or to fall pregnant or to get well, they don't tend to go to the pastor or the mullah. They go to these holy men, these magicians, these masters of sorcery, who give them curses and blessings and spells. For all the outward religion of Pakistan, it's a world under the sway of demonic powers. That seems so far removed, doesn't it, from, from Melbourne, Australia. But it's, it's much of the world. I go every year to Africa. I, I doubt there's a town or a village in Africa which is ruled by some kind of witch doctor. I've no doubt the demonic is real. I've no doubt there is a devil who is alive and personal. And I've no doubt that our country, Australia, and our city, Melbourne, and your church follow, faces the, the assaults and schemes of the devil. Right now, five million people in Melbourne are in lockdown because many have become complacent about the coronavirus. Some even deny its existence. And we're paying a price for that. And if we become complacent about the evil one and these dark powers, or even deny their existence, then I think we face an even greater ruin. I've been asked today to speak to you from this wonderful passage from Ephesians 6, 10 to 23, which is Paul's most extensive teaching on what we call spiritual warfare. It's not surprising Paul wrote these words to the Christians in Ephesus. If you read Acts 19, Luke there describes Paul's three years of ministry in, in this city. And Luke tells us that many turned to Christ from sorcery. In fact, at one point, in a great display of their repentance, they take their scrolls, a full, I guess, of spells and incantations, and have this mass burning. In fact, so many people in Ephesus were leaving idolatry and burning their idols that the idol makers were going out of business and they began to riot. Because, you see, idolatry and sorcery was the lifeblood, the economic lifeblood of Ephesus. In a city under the sway and power of demonic, terrifying demonic powers. And for a world like that, under the control and fear of the devil, of idols, then Paul needs to bring to them a reminder of God's supreme power. So Paul reminds them of God's incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. He tells them that Christ is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. 
And so he prays for them. Out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power in your inner being. For a people under the sway of supernatural powers and beings, Paul reminds them again and again throughout this letter that the supreme mighty power belongs to God and he makes this power available to us. No wonder then Paul begins this section in Ephesians 6 with the words, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 10. And Paul describes three themes in this passage. Firstly, the Christian's struggle, verses 10 to 12. Then second, the Christian's armour, verses 30 to 17. And thirdly, the Christian's power, verses 18 to 20. Paul tells us first that our struggle is against the forces of darkness. And Paul has four terms to describe them. He calls them powers, rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil. There is this dark spiritual realm beyond our material realm, which influences what happens in our world. And they're all governed by the schemes of the devil, the diabolos the diabolical one. And our struggle is against them. Now, Paul doesn't mean that we don't struggle against flesh and blood, against men and women. We do. He did. Paul had many interpersonal struggles. And regularly people came to his church who were false teachers who sought to ruin the church and undermine Paul's authority. He struggled against them. In every place, Jews tried to drive him out, to ta- out of town. He struggled against them. And regularly, city magistrates would flog Paul, imprison him. He struggled against them. And sometimes Paul even names his opponents. He calls them out, men like Phygelus and Hermogenes. But Paul's point is this, that behind them all, in all that these people are doing to destroy our faith and destroy the church, is the schemes of the devil. And actually, it isn't always evil people that Satan uses. Sometimes you see a church just tearing itself apart. I just spoke to a pastor recently who for the first time in 16 years is in conflict with his elders over when to reopen the church. Or we see churches fighting and imploding over the kind of songs we sing or the vision or direction of the church and tempers are lost Things are said behind people's backs. People leave. Evangelism stops. Some might become so disillusioned they leave the faith. And you think, what's going on here? How did things turn so sour so quickly? Because behind it all, there's a dark force. A destructive being. We see in a church an outbreak of marriage breakdowns, not just one or two, but six, seven, eight, nine marriages falling apart. Isn't it interesting The Paul writes about spiritual warfare right after he's given instructions on being godly families, husbands, wives, parents, children, slaves, masters, because a great arena for spiritual warfare is the home. 
Do you see marriages fall apart? You see an outbreak of addictions in the church, maybe gambling or alcohol or pornography. Now, of course, people are responsible for their own behavior, for the things we do. And we do battle against flesh and blood. But you think there are so many lives being torn apart, so many marriages falling apart, it can only be described as devilish. So Paul says, wake up. Don't be complacent. Don't deny his existence. There are powers and authorities with schemes, all with one purpose. The Apostle Peter describes Satan as being like a roaring lion prowling around, seeking someone, some church, to devour. Satan's great purpose is the destruction of your faith, the ruin of your church. That's our struggle. So secondly, put on the armour. Given that Paul describes the Christian life as a struggle, it's not surprising he picks the metaphor of war. We are soldiers, and soldiers wear both defensive armoury and offensive weapons. But notice, the armour we wear is God's armour. Put on the full armour of God. All these terms Paul uses to describe our armour are drawn from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, who describes God's armour, God the warrior God. So Isaiah 59 verse 17, Isaiah says, He, God, has put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. So what Paul is really saying here is basically, put on God. Or as he said back in chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God. God's armour is really his, his righteous character. And Paul used this metaphor of, of putting on or wearing new clothes Back in chapter 4, he said, put on the new self created to be like God. You see, put on God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully. So wear righteousness. Wear truth. Be people of truth. I'm not sure you've heard of a man called Jordan Peterson. He's been called the world's leading public intellectual. Conservatives love him. Lefties loathe him. He wrote a best-selling book last year called 12 Rules for Life. He was asked one time what he thinks is the number one rule for life. He said, well, my number eight. Tell the truth, or at least... Don't lie. You could argue, I think, that most of the evil in our world is because we lie. Why did Germany follow Hitler? Because he lied. Hitler famously said, people fall more readily victim to the big lie than the small lie. So tell big lies. And 50 million people died. The great Russian Christian writer and Nobel laureate Alexander Solzhenitsyn was asked 
Why did the Soviet Union become the absolute hellhole that it was? And he said, because everyone lied. And by some estimates, up to 60 million people died. How did sin enter the world? Well, Genesis tells us because the serpent lied or played with the truth. The Lord Jesus called Satan the father of lies. That's his essential nature. That's his great strategy. And most of the damage and hurt and pain that comes into our lives is because we lie. We deceive. We cover up. We manipulate. We trick. We falsify. We exaggerate. We bias. We mislead. We deny. We rationalize. And so there's ruin. And so put on the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep proclaiming the gospel of truth. Keep believing the word of God. And when Satan comes to you with his lies and accusations, like, um, you're not really a Christian. I saw what you did last night. You can fool them, but you can't fool me. Then don't believe his lies. Christ has forgiven you. You're washed clean. You belong to God. Keep believing the gospel. Keep living for Jesus. In other words, stand your ground. With God's armour, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Stand your ground, and after you've done everything, stand. Stand, therefore. You're in a rugby game. And the opposing team are three metres from the try line. Stand your ground. You're leading a Bible study, and part of the passage is about death, about, sorry, about hell and judgment. And you think, oh, people won't like that. I might skip over those verses. Stand your ground. You hear some juicy gossip about a leader in the church, and if you pass it on, you'll be someone that people listen to. Stand your ground. Someone is flirting with you and made it clear they want to become more intimate. And you're married. Stand your ground. The boss at work wants you to make some moral compromise. Stand your ground. You put on the spot about your Christian faith and everyone is looking at you. Stand your ground. God has given us all we need to keep ourselves from spiritual ruin. Wear the armour of God. And thirdly, God's power. And pray in the Spirit, verse 18, which just means pray Christian prayers. On all occasions, all kinds of prayers, 
Always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. It's striking how much Paul emphasises prayer. And I need to hear that. And I think you do too. Because I don't believe in prayer. I don't believe that prayer really works. And if we scrap prayer from the life of our church, hardly anyone would miss it. Oh, if you ask me, Mike, do you believe in prayer? I say, of course I believe in prayer. I'm a Christian. I think it's very important. But we don't. Because if we really believed in prayer, we'd do it. And by and large, we don't. Prayer has almost disappeared from the public services of many churches. We spend five or ten times longer singing than we do praying. If there is a church prayer meeting, it's the worst attended meeting in the church. Though I did hear about a church recently that's seen a fourfold increase in their midweek prayer meeting. Now they've gone on Zoom. Look, I don't want to put us on a guilt trip. It's easy to do with prayer. But this is just to say, can't you see how important prayer is for our Christian life and our spiritual warfare? It's essential. And not just to pray, but to pray good prayers, the kind of prayers God delights to hear and answer. There's Paul in prison and he is when he wrote this letter. What does Paul ask for prayer for? Get me out of here. <laughs> well, that wouldn't be a bad prayer, but that's not Paul's first prayer. He prays he might declare the gospel boldly. Jack's been diagnosed with cancer. How do we pray for Jack? Oh, Lord, please heal Jack. Well, that, again, that wouldn't be a bad prayer. It's a good prayer. The prayer that Jack might stand firm in his faith and before a watching world testify to his confidence in God's faithfulness and eternal life. Lucy has lost her job. How do we pray for Lucy? Please, Lord, give Lucy another job. Again, that, that wouldn't be a bad prayer. It's a good prayer. But pray that Lucy might seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and believe that all these other things will be given to her as well, all that she needs. Melbourne right now is in lockdown over coronavirus. How do we pray for our city and ourselves? Lord, help us to find a vaccine and end this virus. That's a, that's a good prayer, and I pray that prayer. But pray that the world might see our love and trust in God. And God may use this time to, her, to turn the heart of many to him and find the peace of God which passes all understanding. Beloved, pray. The great reformer Martin Luther believed in the devil. He was asked one time, how he overcame the devil. Luther said, well, when he comes knocking upon the door of my heart and asks, who lives here? 
the dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he has moved out. Now I live here. The devil, seeing the, the nail prints in his hands and the pierced side, takes flight immediately. That's the Christian life. That's spiritual warfare. Christ dwelling in us, ruling our lives. Luther wrote a great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's a wonderful hymn. And I want to finish with the words of the third verse. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Beloved, resist the assaults of the devil and he will flee from you. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.